Good morning once again to all of you. As I mentioned at the start of our service, we are continuing this week in a series entitled Proof, the Confidence of Easter. And today, specifically, we are talking about the brand new life that we have as Christians to live. And uh, if that's a little bit of a vague term to you, um, I think throughout the course of the morning that will be a little bit clearer as to what we mean by the brand new life of a Christian. And uh, it's kind of fitting that we're talking about this, this this morning, this topic this morning, in that this past Friday morning while I was up at the gym, I was uh, talking with a friend of mine uh, by the name of Josh. And just to give you a little background information about Josh, Josh, Josh is not a Christian. I don't know that Josh has ever been a Christian. But Josh is a vocal individual. Josh likes to share his opinion. And uh, Josh knows that I'm a pastor, so we have a lot of um, interesting conversations about religion and Christianity. He's not afraid to bring up the topic and to talk about it. And so as often happens, Friday morning as we were talking, he brought up Christianity. And the reason that it's so fitting that he did that Friday morning is what he went on to say about Christianity and how well it fits in with what we're talking about this morning. Josh, in talking about Christianity started to explain to me one of his hang-ups with Christianity. And his uh, line of thought went something like this. Well, you know, Steve, I've known a lot of Christians in my life, and I've worked with a lot of Christians in my life. And the problem I have with Christianity is that a lot of those Christians that I've known and that I've lived with and that I've worked with in my life, a lot of them have done some things that are pretty unchristian. I've seen Christians, people who claim to be Christians, I've seen a lot of them do some pretty immoral and illegal things, unethical things in the workplace. Things that I wouldn't even do. I recognize that those are wrong, and yet these people who claim to be Christians are doing those things that are unethical and illegal. And I have a pretty hard time with that. Now, I would venture to guess that most of us have had a conversation with someone who's not a Christian who's had the same critique of Christians or Christianity. That they have seen Christians, people who claim to be Christ followers, who have not lived lives that are, not, that are very Christian. And I would guess that, right, it's not just that we hear that from non-Christians. I would guess that we see that ourselves, right? I would guess that all of us have known people who said that they are Christians, who do some things that are not very Christ-like that their lives do not reflect the Christian faith that they profess to have, right? We've probably all known people like that. Now my question for you, first question for you is, in this dynamic of non-Christians having a bad impression of Christianity because of the actions of Christians, in that line of thought, who is responsible for the negative view of Christianity? The unbeliever, the non-Christian, or the Christians? The Christians, right? The Christians are the ones that are responsible for that negative view of Christianity. Now let me ask you another question. Who are the Christians? That's us, right? We're the Christians. And... There have been times in our lives that we, and not Christians in general, but we, the people in this room, we have been the ones 
that have given a negative impression of Christianity based off of our lives, right? I mean, the same anger that a non-believer has is sometimes the same anger that we exhibit in our lives. The same immoral or unethical um, workplace things that happen that, we see, that non-Christians are a part of, there are times that we have been a part of as well. And so we, we have to acknowledge this morning that part of the negative impression of Christianity that is out there is our fault as well. I don't think I have to work too hard to convince you of that. And I think all of us uh, recognize that in our own lives, that there are times that we're a part of the problem and not a part of the solution. Now, what we want to talk about today is how do we deal with that dynamic in our lives? How do we deal with the fact that we are Christians and that we are called to live different lives, lives that are more like Christ? How do we do that in our lives? And I, we're going to talk this morning, before we get into Romans chapter 6, we're going to talk about a couple of ways that I think we tend to try to make that happen in our lives. And what I want to point out for you today is that oftentimes, or always, we're looking at the wrong tool to accomplish what we're trying to, to do. And to kind of set that up, just wanted to give you a little illustration here. I have in my hand, what is this? Crescent wrench, all right? Um, a crescent wrench is pretty a useful tool for tightening bolts or nuts or loosening bolts or nuts, right? If I wanted to drill a hole, is this going to help me out? If I wanted to drill a hole, I would need a drill, correct? This would be the wrong tool for the job. When we're talking about our Christian lives, and when we're talking about living lives that are more Christ-like, I think oftentimes we go to the wrong tool for the job. What are some of the wrong tools we tend to go to? Well, first of all, I think one of them is what I'll call behavioral modification. And that is when we recognize that our behavior is not very Christ-like, we try to modify it. We try to be a little bit better. We try a little bit harder to not do it again. And I think we've probably all gone down that route of trying to modify our behavior. What happens with behavioral modification? I think two things always happen with behavioral modification. First of all, there are, there, it results in short-term obedience. Right? Maybe the next time we're in that situation, we do a better job. Maybe for the next week, we do a better job. But eventually, over time, we revert back to the ways that we had been doing it before. So when we try to just modify our behavior, oftentimes leads to short-term obedience and long-term frustration. Long-term frustration in that we've been in the situation where we're like, I told myself I wouldn't do this again. I told myself I, I was done with that, and here I am doing it again. Long-term frustration or long-term guilt because we tried to modify our behavior, we tried to do a better job, try harder, and it didn't work. Short-term obedience, long-term frustration, wrong tool for the job when it comes to living the life that God has called us to. Let me give you another example of wrong tool for the job. I think this, this was one that... Um, Christians sometimes kind of hold up as like the catch-all, like if, if there's anything uncertain about Christianity, let's just pray about it, right? I mean, prayer will just kind of fix and solve everything, you know? So I've got bad behavior or I'm not living the life that, um, I, that God wants me to live, and so I'm just going to pray about it. Now, is there a point to prayer? 
Is there a place for prayer in our lives? Absolutely, there is. God encourages us. Jesus encourages us to pray. But it's the wrong tool for the job when we're talking about living the life that God has called us to. So, what is it? The answer that Paul is going to point us to this morning in the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 6 is not an answer that you're probably thinking of. And it is not an answer that we spend a lot of time talking about here in church. In fact, when I throw out what the answer is that Paul's going to give us in Romans chapter 6, I'm guessing that many of you are going to be a little bit puzzled and have a few questions as to where this sermon is going this morning. But I ask you just to hold on and let's hear what Paul has to say, the first part of Romans chapter 6. And the answer that Paul gives us on how we are to live lives, new lives, that reflect Christ in us, Paul points us to our attitude. And Paul is going to tell us today that the confidence to live the life that God has called us to, the confidence to live the new life of a Christian is shaped by a godly attitude which is founded upon Jesus' death and resurrection. Attitude. Now, sometimes I don't think we give attitude enough credit in our own lives. And so I just want to talk about what role attitude plays for us in our own lives apart from Christianity. And to, use, to do that, I'll just use the screen and a couple of things up there. Um, all of us, we have a, a set of beliefs that kind of serve as the bedrock for our lives, right? The things that we believe, they influence the things that we do. Let me give you an example of that. In the 1400s, people believed that the world was what? Flat. How did that influence their behavior or their actions? When they sailed, they always sailed within sight of shore. They never wanted to get out of sight of shore because if they did, they were afraid that they would fall off the edge of the earth. And so the belief that the world was flat led them to sail in a certain way. So we think, oftentimes, that our beliefs directly influence our behaviors. But there's more to it than that. Attitude is the thing that directly impacts our behavior. Go back to the 1400s. People believed the world was flat. They sailed close to shore. Why? Because they were afraid of falling off the edge of the earth. And it was that attitude, that mindset of fear of falling off the edge of the earth that was the direct influence to the behavior, the actions of sailing close to shore. Let me give you another example of this whole dynamic. When people that don't know what I do, when they they find out that I'm a pastor, right? Behavior tends to change quickly. All of a sudden, there are certain things that they will say or won't say once their belief about me changes. There are certain things that they will do or won't do because they all of a sudden know that I'm a pastor. Why? Because they in some way believe that what they say or do means more or has some bigger impact when they say it and do it around a pastor than if they just did it around somebody else. But it's the attitude of believing that there's some kind of special weird power associated with pastors that makes them, causes them to want to do something different. But it's that attitude.
going to point us to our attitude first. Now, the book of Romans, we, you know, we're going to take out 11 verses this morning. The book, these 11 verses, they're part of a, the greater context of an entire letter that Paul wrote to Christians living in Rome. And up until, up in the first five chapters of this letter, the Apostle Paul has made basically two major points. The first one's difficult, the second one's comforting. The first point that Paul makes is that when Adam sinned, it changed everything. That when Adam sinned, sin came into the world, and sin now impacts every aspect of life. And that sin, through Adam, is now passed on to every single human being after him. What does that mean for us? It means that all of us were born sinful. All of us were born separated from God. Right? So Paul has kind of laid out that whole and then he goes on with a very comforting point, and he says that Jesus Christ came into this world to be the substitute for sinful people. That the life that Jesus lived, he lived for sinners. And the life that he died, the death that he died, was for sinful people. And so that grace of God in our lives changes who we are and what our lives look like. So Paul's made those two points. And now here in chapter 6, Paul is going to transition into now the life of the Christian and how that looks differently. And before he ever gets to do this, don't do that. Talk that way, don't talk like that. Before he ever gets to any of that, he says, pay attention to your attitude as you live out your Christian life. Because your attitude is what is going to impact your behavior. Right? So, kind of as we're, where we're at before we ever get to behavior in the book of Romans, Paul's going to talk about our attitude. So, Romans chapter 6, with all of that introduction, Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, the Apostle Paul says to Christians, he says, what shall we say then? What shall we say? What shall we Christians say? Should we say it to the unchristians, the non-believers? No, what the Apostle Paul is pointing out is, what should we say to ourselves as Christians? When it comes to our lives, living the Christian life, what are we going to say to ourselves when it comes to that? Alright? Shall we, or should we, is a better way to say it, should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Paul's kind of throwing out an argument that maybe was out there in his day. And the argument was, all right, well, if this is sin in my life over here, and God's grace is going to be bigger than the sin in my life, well, then should I sin even more so that God's grace looks even bigger? Should that be the attitude of the Christian, that sin really doesn't matter? That sin really isn't that big of a deal? And I can sin however much I want because grace is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger than my sin. Paul says, no, that's not the attitude of a Christian. That's not the way Christians should talk about their lives in Christ. So, shall we, what shall we say? Should we go on sinning? No, Paul throws out that. But there's an option there, right? Should we go on sinning, or should we not go on sinning? Paul's laying it out there pretty clear that our lives as Christians, that we've got to pay attention to this. Because we can either lead, lead a life that is surrounded by sin, or we can live a life that is not surrounded by sin. Paul says we have to think about that ahead of time. So what should our attitude be towards sin? Should we, should we just sin so that grace increases? By no means. We die to sin. We what to sin? Say it out loud with me. We die to sin. 
separated from sin's penalty, from sin's power, and from sin's presence in our lives. Meaning that since we have been baptized into Jesus' death, that sin's penalty no longer accuses us. The penalty for sin was death, eternal separation from God. That's been removed from our lives as Christians. He's also saying that sin's power no longer controls our lives as Christians. What he's also saying is that sin's presence is no longer the dominant force in our lives. So the penalty of sin has been removed. The power of sin has been removed. And the presence of sin, and that it is the dominating force of your life, is gone. Let me ask you, is that your attitude towards sin in your life? Is there an attitude towards sin in your life that the penalty is gone, the power is gone, and the presence is gone? And if it isn't, let me ask you why not. Because Paul here is making a very strong case that because Jesus died and because Jesus rose, and because we've been baptized into Jesus Christ, that sin's penalty, power, and presence in our lives are no more. That is the attitude
Is it worth putting up this bridge? Because we know that lives are going to be lost to do that. And the reason they do that is because one, it was a dangerous profession. Two, it was extra danger, dangerous in San Francisco because of the high winds. So they knew it was going to be a very dangerous task to undertake. And is it worth that cost of human life to build this bridge? They ultimately decided that yes, they would build the bridge. Eleven men lost their lives in building that bridge. And in the 1930s, um, iron workers working on, on bridges, when somebody fell to their death, they, it said that they fell to hell. Okay? So those 11 men, it was said of them that they fell to hell. In the midst of building that bridge, they finally came up with the idea that why don't we install a net underneath the area that these workers are working so that if they fall, they'll be caught. So they did that, they installed that, and 19 men, while working on the Golden Gate Bridge, fell and were caught by the net. They formed what's called the Halfway to Hell Club. <laughs> the net underneath them saved their lives. But that's not the only result that that net had on their lives as ironmen. They also noticed that after they installed that net, that the productivity of the iron Why? Because they were better iron workers? No. Because their attitude changed. We have a safety net in our lives. God's ways. When we fall, when we falter, when we give in, we have God's grace, which is bigger than our sin. This morning we will continue with a comment.